You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Sunday night, May 16th, the Overlord 2021. We're jam-packed, and I would argue one of, if not the more interactive shows that we've done. Laptop over there, now it looks more straight. It's an interactive show. We've been interacting throughout the day, so there's a lot of stuff tonight that basically I'm going to need your input on. In fact, three out of the four segments are going to require your input right now during the live show. If you're watching the replay in the comment section, whatever the case may be, at Late Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram. Been talking to you all day. A multitude of different segments we're going to do tonight. Incorporated stuff that I've gotten from you throughout the day. It'll make more sense to you in just a second. We are guessing point spreads tonight. We are projecting ahead. I told you... At Pate State, we don't take federal grant money. And the way we don't have to take federal grant money is because we opened our own university sports book. It's right next to the cafeteria. It's kind of in the back, cash-only operation right now. But we like to project ahead. We do our own numbers here, and this is real talk now. We do our own numbers, and so it helps sometimes when we do segments like this. Don't have to wait on Vegas to put out a number. Now, what we do get to do is we're going to take all these big week one games tonight, and we're going to project what we actually believe those point spreads are going to be I guarantee you we'll be very close, if not dead on, to the actual numbers that get put out when they do get put out. But I want you to guess along, too. And I've gotten some wildly varying degrees of feedback from you today. You know what? We're about to get to it. So I'll I'll just save that for uh, about two, three minutes from now. Most underrated teams in each conference had a hard time. Thought it was going to be the easiest segment we were going to do all summer. Had a really hard time with this. We're about to talk about it. I still don't know if I'm really nailed down all the way on some of these teams. So... I could be very easily swayed. I'm on the fence on a number of these. LSU's got a few things they need to do in order to regain some national relevance this year. I don't know if you guys remember. It was only, oh, I don't know, 2019 when they won a title. But everything went into the wood chipper in 2020. So how do we pull it out? Or how do we forget about 2020? And how do we get things back on track this year? Talking to the folks over at Go247 today, there were a number of different good suggestions. But I got a couple of main ones I want to touch on tonight. Also, it is our late kick schedule draft Sunday night for the first half of the season. And what that basically means is this. Now, in real life, we do get to go cover games every week during the fall. Probably the one of the hardest things, I live a very easy life. So one of the hardest things I have to do is I have to decide which game are we going to each week? Well, there's no reason for me not to outsource that. Since it's your show anyway, I'm going to give you say-so. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to show you the first six weeks and take you through the methodology of how we pick which games we go to. It's not always just the biggest one, which one's going to be the primetime game. There are a lot of other factors, and I'm going to explain how we think about that as we go along, and I'm going to give you a chance to change my mind on that. I just wanted to give you a quick shout-out, congratulations, pat on the back, and big fat thank you. This past week, and then I'm about to dive into the show, I promise. This past week, we had over 400,000 folks watch our stuff. Not even listen. I'm not even talking about the podcast version. 400,000 plus in the middle of May. So again, when I tell you we don't do off-seasons around here, you have definitely taken that very seriously. It's not literal. It's, it's, not, it's not figurative, rather. It's not, it's not just kind of a metaphor. Like, we really mean that. And so we'll keep pumping it out as long as you keep watching it at that clip. By the way, I'm looking at the average viewership, the average amongst you for a live viewer, 18 minutes, three seconds. That's getting it done. Let's dive in tonight. Week one, 
little over 100 days away. Week one, loaded. We talked about this on the last Late Kick Live. We detailed all the big games, and we're about to do it again. If you missed that show, don't worry. We're about to go through all that. But it's time for us to project some point spreads. What do we think these things are going to open at? What do we think they're going to close at? I don't know where they're going to close, but I can give you a pretty good indication of where we think they're going to open. And the thing about it is, once we get into the season and we talk about betting, we try and do it in a way that it appeals to the hardcore gambler, but it also appeals to many of you who don't bet a cent on this stuff. You're just kind of, you have a loose fascination and interest in point spreads, odds making, etc. So we try and talk about it in a way that quenches every thirst for all viewers. And so what we're going to do tonight, before these lines have really come out, is I'm going to tell you what we think they're going to open at. I'm going to give you some reasoning behind it, but I also asked you earlier today on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, and on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh, I asked you guys, what do you think those numbers are going to be? Because this is one of the most fascinating preseason aspects of sport, is finding out how many people have different opinions on where a line's going to open. And some people have a very good grasp on it. I mean, some people think LSU is going to be a two-touchdown favorite at UCLA. So there are varying degrees of camps here forming. But week one is going to be wonderful. I told you it starts on Thursday with Ohio State and Minnesota. It goes all the way through Monday night. It's that Louisville Ole Miss game. And so I could not believe the range of guesses we had here. Let's get this started. So Jesse's going to have us a nice, clean lower third for every one of them. The first game that kicks off on that Thursday night is Ohio State at Minnesota. We don't have times. We don't have networks for a lot of these games yet. So I'm just telling you when they are and where they are. What do you make this line? Because I'm making it Ohio State minus 13 and a half. I had a lot of guesses that were north of two touchdowns today. I could see it closing there. There's going to be a ton of hype behind this. C.J. Stroud probably gets to start at quarterback for Ohio State. It's a road game. Uh, I assume full capacity. We're going to assume full capacity for all of these. And so you're going to have, with Ohio State and with a lot of these teams, you're going to have some sophomores that have really not played in the full house ever. So I don't know what impact that's going to have week one. Just keep that in mind. I'm going to make the Buckeyes just under a two-touchdown favorite. If you want to bet it up to two touchdowns, that's fine. You give me Ohio State minus 13 and a half. And keep in mind, we're taking notes. We're going to book stamp all this, time stamp all of it at least. And we're going to be able to measure how accurate we were against the actual opening number. Now, the very next night, 24 hours later, it's North Carolina at Virginia Tech. Again, I want to reiterate, this is a North Carolina team full of kids that did not play in a full stadium a majority of last year, and now they go up to Blacksburg, and all of a sudden you got a full-lane stadium, and it's a Friday night. It's not quite a standalone game, but it kind of is a standalone game. If you're watching on YouTube, all the highlights Jesse's showing you are in front of like 15,000 fans. So uh, 15, I can't give you very many promises in life, but I can promise you there'll be more than 15K in Lane Stadium up in Blacksburg. This is a Friday night game. What do you think? North Carolina is going to be a preseason ACC championship contender. you got a Heisman contender at quarterback. Virginia Tech was woeful last year, but ended the season strong against Virginia in a game that lost us some money. And an otherwise very good year, that lost us some money. I'm going under a touchdown, and I'm going to have North Carolina opening as a six-point favorite. A lot of you had North Carolina minus seven. We were kind of on the same page there. Listen, this is not an easy road environment to go play in, and this is going to be one of those games where you're trusting but wanting validation. In other words, you trust Sam Howell, you trust that the defense has gotten better, you trust that the run game will be there, but you want to see it validated with your own two eyes. North Carolina minus six. Then we get into the Saturday games. This is fun. Oh, this is fun. Indiana at Iowa. I don't know what time these games are going to kick off. This was one that I think had the widest variance of opinion out there. Some of you had Indiana outright favored by 10 points. Some of you had Iowa as a four or five point favorite. 
I'm telling you, I think Iowa's going to be favored in this game. And that's no knock on Indiana. I just, I think that there may have been a lot of short selling on the caliber of team Iowa is going to have this year. And I believe odds makers will, of course, reflect that opinion. And the home field aspect. Home field's probably going to be very underrated in the early weeks of the season this year. It's going to be talked about, but I don't know if it's going to be properly baked in. Because I think that home field, the first few weeks of this particular college football season, you could stand to add three quarters of a point to a point on top of whatever normal line value would be for home field. You give me Iowa minus three, it wouldn't shock me to see them open north of three, three and a half or four, but I'm taking Hawkeyes minus three. And as soon as they open that thing north of three, I think it would come down to three because I think there would be a lot of very eager Indiana money. Now, obviously, what we're watching here is Michael Penix quarterback situation. I'm going to touch on that in just a second, but I want to get the numbers out there first. Iowa minus three. That's what I expect that to open at. Penn State is at Wisconsin. That's the other really big time Big Ten game. A lot of these games, like when I say them, you just out loud. What do you think? First thing you think. Penn State, really bad last year. Wisconsin started promising, then it fell off a cliff for them. So what would you make this game? I'm making it Wisconsin minus six and a half. Now, I'm very high on Wisconsin this year, but I'm not so much talking about what my personal opinion is. I'm talking about what this line's going to open at. Now, if they open that thing, Wisconsin minus six and a half, and I'm high on them, hey, maybe I get that thing before it goes up to seven. I don't think they're going to open them at seven. I think it'll be a little short of that. I think it'll have a lot in common with that North Carolina opener, for example. There's going to be a lot of stench around Penn State for maybe the public better out there. And I don't necessarily know that that's the proper acumen to apply to betting 2021. Penn State is one of those 2020 eraser teams that we've talked about. In other words, if they are subpar this year, I don't think it'll be because of 2020. I think it'll be its own little set of issues in 2021. Give me Wisconsin minus six and a half as the opener, not the bet, as the opener. Louisiana's at Texas. Now, this one had a very, very wide range, too. Some of you were talking Louisiana money line, which is kind of irrelevant because I'm asking you what the line is going to be. Some of you also said we can't make Texas anything less than a double-digit favorite in Austin at home. Sark's debut, notice there's nothing tangible to any of these things. It's kind of like when people pick Notre Dame to beat Bama back in the day. Luck of the Irish. Well, it's just tradition against tradition. Uh, nothing really, really matters. Like nothing that came out of your mouth really matters there. What matters? Well, what matters here is that team, that Louisiana Raging Cajuns team, I think you're going to hear this thrown around a lot, is the most experienced team in America this coming season. Doesn't always mean a lot, but what I think it means, and you remember what they did week one last year at Iowa State, what I think it means is we can probably pretty safely depend on what we're going to get from them. Don't know that we can depend on that from Texas. So with all that in mind, what am I making this game? I'm making it Texas minus seven and a half. I understand how much Longhorn money there is out there, and I understand how much is going to pour in if I make this thing a touchdown or less. So I'm going to make you pay that half a point premium to bet that Sark opener and to bet all that pomp and circumstance that surrounds playing a home game for Texas against a perceived inferior opponent from the G5. Um, How many of you out there would be shocked if Louisiana won this game? I don't think you'd be shocked at the two-touchdown Texas win either, but th- this is not a G5-P5 game, in other words. Like, I would much rather, if I were Texas, there are several teams from my conference, my Power 5 conference, mind you, that I'd rather be playing week one than Louisiana. So I'm making Texas a seven-and-a-half-point favorite against Louisiana to open it up there. The neutral site game in Atlanta is Miami against Alabama. Alabama is coming off a national championship. We don't really believe in defending national champions around here. But Miami versus Alabama, neutral site. Bama plays in Atlanta all the time, so it feels like a second home to them. 
what do you think here? I had a lot of Bama minus 21 in the inbox. I had a lot of Bama north of 21. I don't think it's going to be that inflated. It may get bet up to 21, but I think this is going to open somewhere between that 17 and 21 point range. Now, a popular number to open Bama at when that's the perception is Bama minus 18. And you let it float in that no man's land, 18, 19. Maybe it settles on 17. Maybe it settles on 20. Uh, But I think they're going to open that thing around 18. I'm going to talk more about this game in a second because there's something I think that majorly factors in here. But my, my immediate projection on that is going to be Alabama minus 18. Georgia Clemson's the biggest game of the day. Uh, it's, this is in no particular order, obviously. Georgia fans, I'm from Georgia. A lot of you thought and still think that you're going to open up as a favorite in this game. Georgia's not going to be favored over Clemson. It's not going to be a big spread, but Georgia's not going to be the favorite in this game, at least not in the opener. I don't know where it's going to close. That's up to you. I'm making Clemson a four-point favorite in this. I'm not even going with the field goal option. I'm going to go up to four. I think that's where I'm going to open it at, at Pate State Sportsbook. You guys can do what you want to. There is a lot of unknown about that Georgia Bulldog team. I mean, again, I'm going to talk about it in just a second, so I don't want to go down the rabbit hole here, but just think about this being a possibility, and this very well may be reality. JT Daniels and trying to fill that George Pickens void and trying to fill out that wide receiver core. Listen, they could go to Charlotte where this game's going to be played, and they could need 35 to win. Can you get 35? Can you depend on that? Because you got a very green secondary. Clemson's going to test it for four quarters. I mean, it's, it's going to be hot. I mean, you're going you're gonna to go in there. I told you I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole. You're going to go in there with a very untested group of secondary players. And you know as well as I do what these week one games look like. You build them up, and then midway through the second quarter, you got every other play having to be stopped because there's a guy down. He ain't hurt, just got cramps, cramps, cramps. Who in the world knows which of these teams is going to finish with a full roster? Who in the world knows what a fourth quarter is going to look like? So I say all that basically to say there's a lot of unknown, which makes these games very big on the marquee, but it often ends with a result that makes you walk away and say, I wish we could have played this in week four or week five. Well, that's the beauty of college football. You don't get to do that. LSU is traveling across the country. They don't do this very often. LSU is opening the season at UCLA. Now, I mentioned to you last week, UCLA has a week zero game. They're playing Hawaii. They'll be a solid three-plus touchdown favorite in that game. In this one, aside from this Indiana-Iowa game, this was the big swing. This was the one, and I tweeted about this last night. I said, I think people are going to be shocked when they see what this number opens at. So I want you, before Jesse shows you, I want you to think in your mind, or if you're listening, What do you think? LSU going to UCLA, you know what your opinion is on both of these teams. What would you open this number at? A lot of you are LSU minus seven or bigger. And I am here to tell you this is not open in LSU minus seven or nine or 11. I'm opening this thing at LSU minus two and a half. LSU minus three wouldn't shock me. There are some people out there in the odds making world that would tell you if they were to just stick to their raw power ratings, this thing should be a pick And that's before you see UCLA in that first game. UCLA is viewed pretty universally in the odds-making world as one of the more underrated teams and one of the more undervalued assets in the college football betting market this upcoming year. Conversely, there's a lot of just blind assumption that LSU is going to bounce right back. And in the odds-making world, that's not necessarily the way that's going to work. So basically, what it boils down to is I think this is probably going to be one of the biggest games, biggest hinge games 
that there's exposure on for odds makers? Because we at Pate State know as soon as we put out LSU minus two and a half, we're going to take a flood of purple money. It's going to be like 80-20, which lets you know when someone tells you the only goal of an odds maker or a sports book is to get 50-50 action, it's not here. We're happy to be heavy on one side, as long as it's the side we want you on. So we're okay. You can load up on LSU. That's okay. We're happy to be exposed here because we think we have you on the right side. LSU minus two and a half. I'm going to have some disagreement on that. I know. Notre Dame at Florida State is a Sunday. I think it's a standalone game. If it's not, you probably won't care about the other game. So Notre Dame goes on the road to Tallahassee. This one, I think... Sometimes with these big brands, so Florida State's a big brand, Notre Dame is too, a lot of times when you look at that Seminole logo and you think about tradition and you think about Doe Camel Stadium, I don't know what happens, but maybe you experience this, maybe you don't. Recency bias goes out the window. In other words, you forget the most recent things you've seen from Florida State and you just remember tradition. And you remember your mind, your memory works in best case format when it comes to betting a lot of times. So when you think about the Florida State Seminoles, you think about vintage Florida State and what they're capable of if everything goes right. That's obviously a format to light your money on fire, but that's the way a lot of people's minds work. And so when I tell you I'm opening this at Notre Dame minus 10, you're going to look at it and say, you're giving me double digits at home, Doak Campbell Stadium, Florida State, yada, yada, yada. I think a lot of you would jump on Knowles plus 10. And to be honest with you, I don't think it's a bad bet. Obviously, I'm putting the line out there because I think it's a fair number. I think Notre Dame's going to open at or around a 10-point favorite here. Now, here was the big question I had, and I will have for this one. It's, if we're playing this game, which we are, who's going to have the quarterback edge? That's something to pay attention to. We'll just bookmark that. I'll come back to that in a second. And then Louisville versus Ole Miss is the Monday night game. This one's in Atlanta. Why play it? You know what? I'm going to leave it alone. Neutral site games have their purpose in the world. I don't know that this needs to be one of them, but it is a neutral site game nonetheless. So Louisville against Ole Miss. This one was pretty easy. This is Rebels minus seven, and then you guys can take it wherever you want to go. Most of you would just blindly bet the over here, over at a million or or less, bet the over. But this one is one I, I, I didn't really see any way to move it off seven. I think that one's opening at seven. It's closing at seven. So in totality... I gave you the numbers, and you can scrub through this video as much as you need to, and you can listen to it as much as you need to, but I'm very interested to know where you guys are landing on these, because just a few takeaways before we move on here. That UCLA game's dangerous now. I'm telling you, that's the one, as Jesse puts up, if you're watching on YouTube, Jesse's putting up the the summary here. Those are our spread projections for these games, and I'm just going to bounce around for a second. That LSU minus two and a half number, I know how enticing that looks. That's why we're putting it out there. That is one to pay attention to. So I'm telling you, just mark my words, the number's going to open at real sports books a lot smaller than what a lot of you think it's going to. And you're going to be drawn in. I just want you to be careful. That's all, I, that's all I'm asking. We call it the Ramen Noodle Express because I don't want you having to rely on eating it for the next two weeks. I don't want your kids saying, Daddy, Daddy, where did my tuition go? That's nothing anyone wants to have set around their household in week one, especially in week one. If you're going to waste the kids' tuition money, at least do it in the second half of the season. Remember that. That's fortune cookie stuff from us tonight. Michael Penix. I was going to get back to this with Indiana. Iowa minus three. Baked into that number is a lot of uncertainty about where Michael Penix is. That's quarterback for Indiana. He is rehabbing off a second ACL injury. And they think, I was just reading a little bit about this today, they believe he'll be back. 
Okay, being back and being 100%, as we know from those knee injuries, two totally different things. We're talking about this with Michael Penix. We're obviously talking about this with Mackenzie Milton down at Florida State. And so I think a lot of that is baked in there. You've got the home field for Iowa. You've got a really good team for Iowa. You've got quarterback uncertainty, that knee stability uncertainty for Indiana. And all the while, the realization that that physicality that Iowa brings, it can be a shock to the senses sometimes early in the season, especially with the way a lot of teams practice these days. Keep that in mind. Let's go to Mackenzie Milton in Florida State because I wanted to circle back to this one. That's the whole question there because if you were to tell me that Mackenzie Milton's going to have a really strong two or three weeks of fall camp leading up and they're going to have no questions whatsoever about him, and let's say for argument's sake Mackenzie Milton is the starting quarterback for Florida State, all of a sudden, what if it's game week? And Notre Dame's minus 10, minus 9.5, but you really get the feel that Florida State's going into this game with an edge at quarterback and home field. Well, absolutely. Grab all the points you can, because at that point, I mean, what are you feeling? Well, you're feeling Georgia Tech came in here and beat us at home to start the year last year. Let's just turn that thing on its ear, and let's get a big upset win of our own at home to start 2021. That's something to think about. That Alabama number, if Bama opens minus anything under three touchdowns, A lot of what that's going to rely on, their ability to stretch the game at the end and get a big margin and thus cover the spread, it's going to rely on how far that offensive line has come by the time they play Miami. I don't think it'll be a finished product by the time they play Miami. In other words, week one. And also, we're going to know, well, we're going to get our first taste of Bryce Young in meaningful action. And we haven't had that yet. We've seen him, but we haven't had that yet. And thirdly, a lot of that wide receiver core. You know, we know about John Mechie, and we saw Ajay Hall in the spring game. I was talking to his dad the other night, and it turns out that I thought I had the pronunciation right, but I didn't. And he even confirmed as such. And uh, he, I, don't, I, I just had the pronunciation wrong. So we did a really good segment on him after the spring game, but we have to go and scrub it now. Or I have to like manually replace my mispronunciation with the right pronunciation, which I didn't used to make a big deal of, but it's you got to respect people enough to get their name right, no matter how hard the pronunciation is. So Ajay Hall, hey, I think he's going to be a star this year. But they got other guys who haven't come on campus yet. JoJo Earl, Christian Leary, how many of those guys are going to proliferate that starting rotation really early in the year? Got Jamison Williams from Ohio State, too. So anyway, I mention all that because you think about Alabama, that recency bias comes in, and you think fireworks, fireworks, fireworks. Maybe it's seamless carryover, even though you got a new quarterback, new wide receivers, new offensive line, new coordinator, so a whole new offense, maybe there is carryover. Or maybe Alabama wins mm, 34-17, and it's just a little bit closer than you thought it would be. A couple of different ways that could play out. How about Georgia's defensive backs? I talked about this already, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But, man, that game could really set up. You got a potent Clemson offense, and they got questions all their own that I'll touch on in about 10 seconds. But that Georgia defensive backfield, do they overachieve early, or are they down 14-0 early? And are they offensively having to play catch-up, which is not a role that they're familiar with and not one that in the past they have been well-suited to play the role of, the catch-up role. And then with Clemson, Dabo Swinney, there's one thing he keeps talking about, and that's physicality. That's one of the things that were that most disappointed them last year was they got, they got handled physically in their biggest games at the end of the year. And, you know, it, it, it may not be a big deal, let's say, if they play Duke. No disrespect. Just picking one out of the pile. They may run the score up on Duke. They ran the score up on Georgia Tech last year. It didn't matter. didn't matter. A lot of their issues were just masked when they did that because they go into that semifinal against Ohio State favored, 
and get run out of the building. Why? Well, they were the second most physical team on the field that night. That's why. So this game, my point is, we don't really have to wait. Because Georgia, if they can't do anything else, they certainly will test you physically. And I think you're going to hear a lot about that Louisiana experience metric. And it's not just blindly how many guys return. That's not experience. Okay, Returning starters, that's not experience. I think Bill Conley does a really good job of it. Bill Conley's approach is, let me take the most important metric at your position, and then I'm going to aggregate all that, and I'm going to find out how much of that stuff you return at each individual position, wide receiver, different than running back, different than defensive back, etc. Louisiana is number one out of all 130 on that chart. So I'm just saying, if you're taking the points and Louisiana, you feel really good. There's not a lot of unknown with that team. They are probably just, they are what they are this year. So I am very willing to be open and listen to your feedback on this. I see a lot of it in the live chat here. I assume we'll get a lot of it in the comment section. Those are our weeks one, well, it's just week one, really, opening spread projections. And we will not have to wait long because those numbers are going to come out soon. And so we're going to be able to take our number and you'll be able to take your number and see how good you did. All right, let's move on here because we got a we got an entire trip around the country to take here and we're going to do it really fast. It's like we got a seat aboard the Concord. We're going to do this in like 10 minutes. Which teams are the most underrated in each conference? I trust that if you're watching this show in May, you're a diehard college football fan. And so with that, I trust you don't have to wait for preview magazine season to have a loose concept of what you think about teams. Therefore, you don't really need to wait to follow right along with me here and have your own opinions on these. The key in determining the most underrated team in a conference, though, and remember this, is not who do I think is going to finish where. That's not the game. The game is know the public perception. So you know what people think about Team X. If you think infinitely higher of Team X, that makes them the most underrated team. I'm, I'm going to have some teams here that are already ranked in the top 12 or 13. I'm going to have some that may not finish above 500. I think they're all very underrated. I want to start in the SEC. The Kentucky Wildcats are the most underrated team in the SEC to me this year. It heavily depends on how quarterback shakes out, as will be the case with a lot of these teams. Joey Gatewood, they had some good things to say about him coming out of spring. But I want you to remember, Liam Cohen is the new offensive coordinator here. He comes in from the L.A. Chargers. Mark Stoops never does this. Mark Stoops felt comfortable enough with where his program is now to hit not a reset button, but kind of hit a fast-forward button. Wants to do things different offensively. And the reason I'm talking about quarterback is because a lot of folks around Kentucky think the guy who's ultimately going to start for them, Will Levis, is not on campus yet. He's a transfer from Penn State. So I'll grant you, this is a shot in the dark a little bit. I'm counting on quarterback to work out here. And if it does, I get to blend a lot of things I like in football. Number one, the overall MO of Kentucky. Physical, you can count on them to rough people up when you need them to. But also, they don't need to be basketball on grass. They don't need to be Bama circa 2020, LSU circa 2019. But the ability to push the ball vertically down the field a little bit better, that's what they've lacked and really lacked. But I also want to bring in the old schedule dynamic here had to give it its own post-it. So it's not just who you play sometimes, especially in the SEC, it's when you play them. They go to South Carolina in week four. Carolina plays Georgia the week before that. It's a really good time to draw the Gamecocks. They've got Florida in week five. Florida has got Bama and Tennessee back-to-back right before they play Kentucky. Kentucky plays LSU in week six. You know who LSU plays the week before? They play the Auburn Tigers the week before, and they got Florida the week after. And Kentucky plays Georgia in week seven. Georgia will be fresh off a trip to the Plains. 
to play Auburn in Jordan-Hare Stadium the week before. And so if the schedule dynamics line up and this offense gels earlier than expected, Kentucky could all of a sudden be a team doing a lot of what you don't think they're supposed to be doing. Kentucky is supposed to settle into their 7-6, and six, mid to low tier bowl for an SEC team, and they're supposed to serve as sort of a bump and set, and the big boys can spike them. Maybe that's the case this year, maybe it's not. I think Kentucky's very underrated. I wanted to go Ole Miss there because you can make an argument that Ole Miss has got the best quarterback in the conference coming into the season. So how are you not underrated if you fit that description? But I went with Kentucky, scheduling dynamics one out. Let's go to the Big Ten. This one's going to sound weird to you. I'm picking the Wisconsin Badgers as my most underrated team in the Big Ten. And the reason it's weird is because we've got them at 24-7 Sports, our post-spring top 25. We had Wisconsin at number 16. So how in the world are you going to be underrated if you're at number 16? Well, I'm going to tell you why. I think they're better than the 16th best team in the country. And I looked at some teams we ranked ahead of them. LSU, Cincinnati, Florida, Notre Dame, Oregon, and Texas A&M. I could see Wisconsin being better than every single one of them. Maybe they don't top any of them, but I could see a path that I'm about to lay out where Wisconsin is better than every single one of those teams. Paul Christ, and you can tell the people around that program, they really believe they have something offensively this year. I think they believe they had it last year, and it got derailed. Last year, they had that Friday night game, I think it was against Illinois, and they had like a perfect first half offensively. People didn't know what to think, because you're used to Wisconsin offense being one thing, and then you saw a radically different thing, uh, you know, like the forward pass, a whole lot of it. But then everything got thrown off the rails through no fault of their own. They had some injury at wide receiver. They had a whole lot of COVID stuff. They never really got to play a season. They played, but it wasn't the Wisconsin that they could have been. I think they believe they're going to have some delayed gratification this year, and I tend to agree with that. Wisconsin's got a sneaky underrated wide receiver room. I think they got a sneaky underrated quarterback. A lot of those Badger fans up there, even when Jack Cohn, street name Jack Doan on our show, even when he was on campus, a lot of them whispered to each other. They never said it out loud, but they whispered, you know, Graham Mertz may be better than hell. One of these days we're going to see that Graham Mertz kid. Now you get to see him. You actually get to see him play Jack Cohn this year. More on that later. So I am going to take them. And the other thing, schedule dynamic alert here, you know, Wisconsin, they open with Penn State at home. That's a big one right out of the gate. But they also play Notre Dame and Michigan in the first month of the season. So they got Penn State, new offensive coordinator there to open. They've got Notre Dame, new quarterback there. I think that's week two or week three. And then they play Michigan. A whole lot of newness on offense there too. They're catching a lot of teams that you could argue are in transitional mode offensively, and they're catching them early. And if they think about it, if they come out of that stretch right there, 3-0 and or 4-0, and which is a distinct possibility, all of a sudden, out of that group, you've also beaten Notre Dame. If they beat Notre Dame in Chicago, then all of a sudden, that's that, that's that flag planter. That's not just a conference win. That's a national, huge marquee win. I'm going to talk about this game later on over Notre Dame. It's a bona fide playoff contender every single year. And it, what I'm trying to say to you is that would take Wisconsin from being a nice top 15-ish caliber layup for Ohio State once it's the right time to, ooh, that team could actually challenge them. You know, you got Jim Leonard up there still. Turn down Green Bay. Everyone's turning down Green Bay these days. Well, he's still the defensive coordinator there. So this is not a team you're just going to throw it up and down the field on. If they can move it up and down the field on you, they become a legitimate contender this year to do a lot more than just make some noise in the Big Ten in their division. In the ACC, total opposite. In the Big Ten, we're going with what was already a top 20 team. In the ACC, 
I'm going the entire opposite direction. I'm going with a team that has won a combined six games in the last two years. Most underrated team in the ACC this year, give me the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. I've been waiting on year three for two years now. Sounds like kind of a a weird version of In the Air tonight by Phil Collins. You give me Georgia Tech as the most underrated team in the ACC this year, though. This could be one of the nastiest schedules easily in this conference. It's one of the nastier schedules in the entire country this year. They play at Clemson. They play North Carolina. They go to Miami. They go to Notre Dame and have Georgia to end the year back-to-back. So you got Irish and dogs at the end of the year, back-to-back. That's the downside. But also, the plus side for me, if I'm looking at them as a candidate for most underrated, is you don't expect a lot from them anyway. You really don't expect a lot from them when you look at the schedule. But I'm looking at them, and they've won six games combined the last two years. I want six wins plus this year. That's what I'm trying to look at. So there are going to be a lot of times they're a dog this year, but it's going to be a lot of six-point dog, four-point dog, nine-point dog. In other words, if you get that quantum year three leap, which is sort of the sum greater than the individual parts instead of the inverse, which it's like sometimes when you're overturning a culture the first two years. If that happens, and part of that click, part of that year three click, is a year two with your quarterback there and Jeff Scott, then all of a sudden you have what it takes to win those games. And so I'm just counting on that. There are a lot of things, there are a lot of elements in place. I need them to click, but there are a lot of elements in place that I like about Georgia Tech this year, enough to where, hey, I'll make them my go-to as not a sleeper because I don't think they're going to win the conference or anything like that, but I think they're my most underrated team there. Let's go to the Pac-12 all the way out west. Now, this one was hard. I had several teams that I wanted to go with here. I could make a very good argument for Oregon State. I can make a very good argument. I can make a really good one for UCLA. I could make a slam dunk argument for Utah, but I'm not going with any of them. Washington is my most underrated team in the Pac-12 coming into 2021. They have got probably one of the more workable schedules in America. I saw Brad Powers talking about this the other night, and he nailed it. I think I mentioned this once. I'm going to mention it again. Let me tell you about Washington. See, they've got question marks at quarterback, and for that matter, a lot of people out west still don't quite know what to make of Jimmy Lake as a head coach. And I get all that, and I could could go along with that. But we're taking a roll of the dice here. So let's just assume that those... Those factors play out. At least we get plus. We don't have to get elite, but at least we get a plus sign in the category of head coach, quarterback. Well, then all of a sudden you look at it and you say, wait a second, is Washington going to be favored in like every game they play? And you say, no, Washington's not going to be favored in every game they play. Well, they don't play USC or Utah from the South. So check mark, check mark. They get Arizona State at home. They get Oregon at home. They, who else do they play? They go to Michigan. I mean, that's probably outside of the Oregon game. That's probably their toughest game, and it's an out-of-conference game, and that's week two. And there are some people out there, now I got some different opinions on this. I'm right out of pick them for it. There are some people that think Washington will go into Ann Arbor and be favored. I'll have to see it. I think either way it's going to be very short. The number's going to be very short under a field goal either way. But I say that to say all of a sudden, I mean, you look at this, and they got easily one of the most workable schedules in the country. They're not on anyone's national radar. It's, it's Oregon, Southern Cal, or bust. There are, there are a lot of people like myself that are in the Utah camp from the Pac-12 South. But be that as it may, I haven't heard anyone in the Washington camp. And Washington's sitting there right, right now, at least, as my most underrated team out west. And then let's go to the Big 12. I put the Big 12 last because I did not know where to go with this. I know what I think about Oklahoma. 
I know what I think about Texas. Like, I know what I think about the bigger teams out there. But I didn't know who to go with as most underrated. And so I hit up our buddy Parker over at Stats of War on Twitter. And I said, convince me that TCU is the most underrated team in the Big 12 coming into this year. Because he believes that. And so he sold me on TCU today. He said, Quentin Johnson could be the breakout wide receiver in the Big 12. And I can go along with that. He also said, I don't think people have the slightest clue how badly, how inept offensive line play was for TCU last year. And it cost them. And trust me, we watched it. If you were on the Ramen Noodle Express with us, we famously watched it implode a couple of times. So yes, he's right about that. But if you get good to above average offensive line play this year, it would be a quantum leap for them in that department. Uh, Max Duggan is who you need him to be. He's a good enough quarterback. You got Johnson, so you got a potential game-changing difference maker at wide receiver. And then you look around and you say, well, other than Oklahoma, like, who are the other alphas out here that are just going to run all over them? And the answer is there aren't really any. So I can go along with TCU. Now, there was a trade-off on this. And he said, if I make this argument for you, you got to either do one of two things. You either got to give my website a shout-out or you got to talk about how handsome I am. I don't think he looks good. I think he's a six in Scranton. He'd probably be a four in the city. So he's got terrible playoff takes, very sketch playoff takes, decent office takes. But I will tell you, CFB slash graphs is a really good website, really good resource. I use it during the season, so I can vouch for it. Not CFB graphs, because he can't, uh, can't buy the rights to the website, pathetic. But uh, CFB dash graphs is a really good place to go. So those are some good resources. But to sum that up, SEC, Kentucky, Big Ten, Wisconsin. In the ACC, it's Georgia Tech. Give me Washington in the Pac-12 and give me TCU in the Big 12. And again, told you, a really interactive show tonight. I can be swayed on this because I'm checking the eye, Josh, right now, and it says we are in the middle of May. And so we got some time. I could be talked off Washington. You could easily sell me on a lot of teams out west. I could, I, you could sell me on Virginia. I gave strong thought to the University of Virginia. Couldn't get a hold of Jamie Oaks today, so he couldn't convince me or sway me on that one. But that's where I stand. Be very interested to hear where you stand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Now we're going to zoom in, and we got to take some time, and we got to go to one of the original supporters of Late Kick. Back when we first launched Late Kick, one of our first orders of business was to jump on the LSU 2019 bandwagon, and it was a very opportune time to do a very opportune thing because we rode that thing all the way into Tuscaloosa, and then all the way into Atlanta, and then all the way into New Orleans, and watched them win a national championship. Still got footage of it right here in the aforementioned iJosh. Then things went terrible in 2020. 
Again, you remember both of these things. I don't need to rehash it. If there was an SEC version of HBO Hard Knocks, this would be the vote by 10 miles. Everyone would want to see behind the scenes at LSU for 2021. I just want to ask rhetorically, and then I want to answer it with some specific keys here. What's it going to take for LSU in 2021 not to win the SEC again? That'd be great. Everybody'd be happy. But just to get back to that national respectability, relevance, you look at LSU and you say, man, we got our hands full this afternoon. You look at LSU, that's a bona fide top six or top seven kind of team. What's it going to take? And so it, it can be good sometimes to matter. And what I mean by that is everyone's got an opinion of LSU. There's no one indifferent. You walk up to any kind of college football fan, they could be in Salt Lake City, they could be in Providence, Rhode Island. I want to meet the ones in Providence, but they could be there. They could be in Raleigh, North Carolina, anywhere in between. You could ask them, LSU football, what's your take? No one's going to say, I don't know, I don't really think anything about LSU. Everybody's got an opinion. After these last two years, everybody's got an opinion. Even amongst the LSU fans, there are varying degrees of opinions. But I want to know about the results. See, because it's good sometimes for your brand. Everyone's talking about brand these days. It's good if you matter. It's good if everyone thinks something about you. Well, that's in the marketing world. You know, there's no, there's no publicity that's bad publicity. I've always thought that's one of the stupidest things anyone ever said. But what about wins and losses? Because if they think something about you because you're going four and eight this year, it's not a good thing for LSU. So that much we can assure ourselves of. What's going to decide 2021? One of the most amazing aspects is anytime I'm talking to LSU fans, I probably talk to LSU fans per capita as much as any fan base in America, even to this day. I don't know that there is a fan base out there right now that has as wide a variance from extreme one end to extreme the other end of opinion on their 2021 team as the LSU fan base does right now. And the main thing I ask, and I'm asking right now is, What's your opinion of Ed Orgeron? All-encompassing, go wherever you want to. What is the concern level you have from any kind of the off-field distractions and that general haze that's existed around and over the program as of late? Was 2020 just a big blip on the radar screen, or is that a big red warning sign? And what's the number in 2021? What do they have to do? It all boils down to a win-loss record. Is eight and four good enough? Is nine and three the one you got to have? Do they have to win double digit games? And on the other side, what happens if you go seven and six or worse? What's the number? That's the four things mainly that I ask LSU fans. So I was on the Go 24 7 message board today. Got a lot of feedback because I asked this question What's the key in 2021? Now, aside from quarterback, because quarterback's obvious here, uh, they have not decided and won't probably until well into fall camp about Miles Brennan or Max Johnson. I think they can win with both of them but I don't necessarily even have a strong front runner there in my own mind, and I could get strong arguments either way from you guys. But outside of that, what are the most popular takeaways? Jesse's showing you right now from last season. Miles Brennan had a season cut short, and so then in steps Max Johnson, and you remember the Florida game, and a lot of you, if you watched, you remember the Ole Miss game, but largely you were left with saying, all right, Miles Brennan will be back next year, and then what? Well, and then what? Maybe he's not starting. That's the end, and maybe then what? So Max Johnson's very, very much in this thing. This is not a formality like some of these quarterback battles out there that are really just presented for show to keep everyone on campus and out of the transfer portal. This is a legit quarterback battle. But I want to go beyond quarterback. So outside of that, what's it going to take for LSU this year? Now, on the Go 24-7 board today, when I asked this, the most popular sentiment was offensive line, and I think that was pretty handedly the number one 
reaction. But then wide receiver development behind Keishon Butte, which is the big glaring thing that we talked about coming out of the spring game. Like Butte is a bona fide number one receiver in the SEC. So you can count on him. You'd, you'd love to have him in the foxhole. But they had like two or three or four of those guys in years past. And you want to find well, which one's the two this year and the three this year and the four this year. Because you got to have some stud wide receivers to do what they want to do, to do what they brought that new offensive coordinator in to do. Got to have more than one dependable wide receiver. Now, the good news is, again, like we talked about, this is not a situation where you're trying to make chicken salad out of fill in the blank. They got a lot of talent, just unproven. So they got names on a depth chart. They got to prove themselves. That's what they're looking for. So that, the running back room, finally playing to the sum of the individual parts, which has been something that you've been waiting for for quite a while. I mean, you had Edwards Alaire, but then after that, you had a lot of names, and they still got a lot of names. And we know what this guy should be capable of, but it's just not quite there. And not to mention, and I'm not just talking about running the ball, what you got out of the backfield at the running back position in 2019, that's such a luxury. They had it at Bama with Najee last year. All these big-time teams these days. Look what Ohio State's done at the quarterback and wide and uh, running back position. Uh, ETN at Clemson, like those guys are dynamite receiving options. Those guys would be four-star receivers if you just lined them up out wide. Do they have that? Question mark. And then also, I agree across the board with that, but LSU fan 1909, told you copious amounts of shout-outs could be forthcoming. He said really early on in that thread, the one that I was going to go with immediately, and that's both the coordinator hires have to be home runs. You can't have C-pluses with these. You just can't. This is not a situation where you have a head coach, I'm going to say this as delicately as possible, that is intimately involved in the day-to-day operational aspects of both of these things. That is not Ed Orgeron's wheelhouse. That is not what his role should be leading this football team. What he should be doing is hopefully hiring some big-time coordinators, and in this case, I want to specifically zone in on defense. Durante Jones has got to be a home run hire. I don't care what Orgeron said when he was hired. I don't care what choice he was on a pecking order. He's the hire. He's got to get the job done now. And let me tell you about that LSU defense right now. A lot of you close to the program know this. That LSU defense was done wrong last year. I don't mean by the opponents. I mean internally. They were done wrong. There are a lot of really good football players on LSU's defense last year. They got hung out to dry and put in a no-win situation. And I'm talking about not having a shot in some cases when they took the field because they were set up for failure. That's not a linebacker's fault. That's not a safety's fault. That's a procedural problem. That's a coaching staff problem. And so you go into wounded animal mode a little bit when you get put in that position by adults that are paid six and seven figures to know better than to put you in that position. You go into wounded animal mode and you got trust problems. The first thing Durante Jones has to do is earn the trust of those guys. The talent's there. No one walks in and looks at LSU's defensive roster and says, well, we got to overhaul this thing. No, you don't. You got the horses there. They got to trust you. They trust you. They'll run for you. If all the horses at LSU run at their optimal speed, you'll have no problem defensively at LSU. That's the first question. And then the second thing, Sonny Ship, a big up-and-comer on the LSU website. I think he's got a lot of promise as a poster. That's Sonny Ship. He said both lines of scrimmage, and he made a specific point to say conditioning. This is something they were talking about coming out of spring down there. And this is something that I want to focus on both sides here. See, that run game, when we're talking about that running back position and talking about maximizing potential there, in the 2019 season, one of the most underrated aspects was we went into that season, I picked them to win the West, and even I was sitting there saying, 
But if they don't win the West, it'll probably be because that offensive line underachieved. They won the Joe Moore Award. You can talk all you want to about what Joe Burrow did for them. They don't give the Joe Moore Award to bad offensive lines. So the offensive line came through that year. It's got to come through this year. And you're not going to sling it around to the degree that Joe Burrow was able to do in 2019. So this offensive line has got to get it done in the run blocking aspects here too. That running back stable is ever going to deliver on the infinite amounts of promise that those names indicate should be there. It's got to be that offensive line that gets the job done. And then on the other side, think about the shift that will no doubt happen in the SEC this year. LSU plays Bama, Auburn, Florida, A&M. They play them every year. All four of those teams, I guarantee you, will be more run heavy this year than they were last year. So when Sonny's sitting there talking about defensive line conditioning, you're not just dealing with one team that's going to commit to running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, a lot like it used to be a decade plus ago. Alabama's going to run it more this year. Auburn's certainly going to run it more this year. Florida has to run it more this year than they did last year. And Texas A&M's probably going to run it more this year too. And so if you don't have this stuff figured out, all this basic stuff, the stuff that people don't even waste time in preview magazine season talking about, this is the difference between 10 and 2 and 7 and 5 or whatever those add up to. And so these are the things that have to come through. But I really circle back to that coordinator thing. When you bring in Pete's and you bring in Durante Jones, the next thing you have to do, and I'm talking about Edge Orgeron, is trust your process and then get out of the way. Because you may still have some lingering issues from last year. And you got some guys still around last year that remember what went wrong and why it went wrong internally. Well, see, that was the other piece of feedback I didn't really touch on from that message board thread. And a lot of the talk that you get when you talk to folks close to the program down there, culture and internal dynamics doesn't have a thing to do with a wheel route or a coverage or anything of that nature. That culture sucked last year. It was bad. And a lot of those guys are still here. Now, if you hit the reset button, that's cool. But I'll tell you what goes a long way, even if it's not totally resolved. And even if there still is some friction, you get me a coordinator in here I can play with. I'll go to war for him. Offense, defense, that's fine. I'll go to war for him. That stuff's got to fall in place. I cannot overstate enough the importance of those coordinators falling in place the way that, fingers crossed, you hope they will for LSU this year. All right. We are well into the show tonight, but this is the one that you guys have been asking about the most. The schedule draft is something that I like to do every year, normally alone, but I figure there's no reason to do this alone this year. The late kick schedule draft is essentially this. We are blessed around here. You could put a period on that sentence and end the show, but let me be specific. We're blessed because we get to go to college football games for free every week. They even feed us for free. Dare I say they may even pay us a couple of dollars to go to these games. And here's the other added benefit. We get to pick where we go. Isn't that great? Again, like I said, hashtag blessed. And so in the past, I just sit Indian style in my bed at two o'clock in the morning and say, all right, let's go here that week. And then let's go there this week. No more. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a little schedule draft right here and right now. We're going to first weeks of the season, first six weeks. Afterwards, it's a crapshoot. We don't know who's going to be what by that point record-wise. But I want you to think along with me here because here's what we're trying to do. We're not just blindly choosing the biggest game every week and that's it. We're trying to see the best games. We're trying to see the most legit teams. And we're trying to limit the regrets because the last thing you want to do is be boarding a plane home Saturday night or Sunday morning and you were at a 45 to 3 blowout and you sat there and watched three instant classics unfold simultaneously in an empty stadium after your game ended. We want to limit that. 
Okay, so there may be some big time teams that we don't get to see as much because we think they're going to be favored by 30 points. Let's go week one because we already talked about this week a lot tonight. And I don't think that there is a whole lot of debate about week one. Now to run down quickly the big games in week one. Look at this slider that Jesse's showing you. It is so delicious. Penn State is at Wisconsin. You got Louisiana at Texas. You got Miami versus Alabama. A lot of you don't like hot weather. That one will be indoors. So maybe you prefer the controlled climate. Georgia Clemson's outside. It's going to be a sauna. It's in Charlotte. It's in the first week of September. Cargo shorts sticking to the backs of your legs. It's great. LSU at UCLA will be none of that. It'll be 75 with a 45 dew point. And then Notre Dame at Florida State on the Sunday. So where are you going? Well, I think it's pretty obvious where we're going. We got to go to Georgia and Clemson. I didn't have much doubt about that one. But out of curiosity, if you couldn't go to Georgia Clemson, where would you go? This is where it gets a little squirrely. You think, oh, you got to go see Alabama, right? No, I'd go all the way out to UCLA. If I'm going to call them a sleeper team on the West Coast, I know good and well I'm not going to get many other shots to see UCLA in person. So what I don't want is the Bruins in the Pac-12 championship game, and I haven't been able to watch them a single time. Now, I can get to LSU other times in this year, but be that as it may, I can't go out to Pasadena and pass up Georgia versus Clemson. So give me that one in week one. Then in week two, this one's manageable, but this one's also, I think, pretty obvious. The week two lineup has Texas at Arkansas, not versus. It's not a neutral site game. Texas is going to Arkansas in week two. If you're keeping score at home, by the way, yes. Texas has Louisiana and Arkansas to open the season. So Horns at Hogs. Oregon is at Ohio State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iowa is at Iowa State. And this is going to aggravate me to no end because I really want to be at that one. And Washington is at Michigan. Could be Washington's easily their most losable game until they play Oregon. How are we not going to go to Columbus, Ohio here? How are we not going to do that? So we've got to pick Oregon at Ohio State. That's going to be a noon kickoff too. When you sit at home and watch games, a lot of you love for your team to be the primetime game. But if you're traveling to games, you want as many noon kickoffs as possible. Because that either gives you time to travel the rest of the day, or it gives you time to sit in an empty stadium and watch the 3.30 and nighttime kickoffs ideally not in an airport. And so let's go Oregon at Ohio State. If I couldn't go to that one, Texas at Arkansas and Iowa at Iowa State, we're literally 2A, 2B. I'll flip a coin. We can draw short straws to see who gets what. Week three. Week three is a lot of big-time teams going on the road here. So week three, we've got a very rare out-of-conference game for the Auburn Tigers. Auburn goes to Penn State. You heard that right. You don't hear it very often. Auburn's going to Penn State in week three. This is the week Bama goes to Florida. We don't get to see that matchup a lot in the SEC, even in conference play. We don't get to see it. How about Michigan State at Miami? Hadn't heard a lot of talk about that game. That's a a pretty noteworthy out-of-conference matchup. And this is when Cincinnati starts that stretch of Power 5 hurdles, and they go to Indiana. So I'm taking Alabama at Florida in this week. I didn't take a whole lot of time. This is the first big test for Florida. It's the first primetime kind of spotlight showdown matchup, whatever you want to fill in there hyperbolically, for Emory Jones and Dan Mullen. Because I think that Bama defense is going to be as good as it's been in several years, and you got to be able to throw the ball on them. And the one thing we kept hearing out of spring practice is Emory Jones, some good, some bad accuracy issues, though. Got to hone in on that accuracy. Well, I don't know that Nick Saban's defense is what I want to use to hone, but I do want you to think about this. The Swamp, 90-plus thousand. Because this is really going to be the first time against a big conference opponent you've seen it in quite a while. 
I was down there the last time that environment existed pretty much. Um, it was something to behold. That was the Auburn game a couple of years ago. So looking forward to this one. However, there is a big draw to me to go to the Auburn-Penn State game because I've never been able to go to a game at Penn State. But there's going to be opportunities later in the year for both teams. That's the key here because I can see Bama at Florida and maybe never see it again for I don't know how many years. I can't necessarily always see an SEC team going to Happy Valley, but I can get up there later in the year. So remember that. We're going Bama, Florida, week three. How about week four? This one was easy to me, but this is a really good and really eclectic lineup. And this is where the neutral site stuff starts to come into play. So Texas A&M plays Arkansas. That's neutral. That's in Arlington. How about that Notre Dame versus Wisconsin? It's not in South Bend. It's not in Madison. It is in Soldier Field in Chicago, Illinois, right there on the lake. And it's not too late in the year either. So it should be nice and crisp in Chicago that Saturday afternoon. Iowa State goes to Baylor. North Carolina goes to Georgia Tech. This Notre Dame-Wisconsin game is a circle game for me. So, um, I mean, you can fly into O'Hare and just take the train. I don't even have to rent a car. So I'm going to easily take Notre Dame versus Wisconsin there. And also, this is, as I said earlier in the show, it's Wisconsin's flag plant opportunity. This is not just some win against the Big Ten program. This is Notre Dame. Notre Dame's been to the playoff a couple of times the last few years. This is one of the steps you take for Wisconsin as a program to go from upper tier, upper echelon Big Ten team that can't clear the hurdle that Ohio State inevitably would be later in the year to this team. Maybe they're not as good as Ohio State, but you know what? If if you get into that sort of murky, could two teams from the same conference make the playoff type conversation late in the year? These are the kind of games you have to win if you want to be in that conversation. And even if you're not, like that's as close as Wisconsin would have been in quite a while. How about week five? Week five, I'm going to be so, I'm already looking at week six. It makes me so mad. But first things first. Week five offers us Ole Miss at Alabama. Week five offers us Arkansas at Georgia. Really good games. But it offers us Auburn at LSU as well. We got Boston College at Clemson. Now, this counts on Boston College overachieving this year. That's why it's on the list here. Cincinnati at Notre Dame is extremely appealing. I'll explain to you why I'm not picking that game. Michigan at Wisconsin. Can't go wrong there. But I just saw Wisconsin last week, right? So I'm going Auburn at LSU. I haven't missed this game. Aside from last year, I haven't missed this game in several years. And it always has delivered for me. This was the one where Les got fired and I watched it happen pretty much on the field afterwards. This is the one the next year where we thought Gus got fired, but it turns out he resurrected his team from the dead and got his contract extension and you know the rest there. So I'm going to go down there because I also want you to remember this will be the first conference game in Tiger Stadium at full capacity since the 2019 season. Very juicy. Yes, very juicy indeed. The reason I'm not picking Cincinnati at Notre Dame It's because I've got opportunities to see Notre Dame, and I don't have Saturday opportunities to see Cincinnati, but since he's got two Friday night games, and that's not all that far up the road for me here in Nashville. So theoretically, I could kick up to Cincinnati if I want to see them play a Friday night game, could do that, and then leave from Cincinnati on that Saturday morning and go wherever we need to go. So for that reason, I, I passed on Cincinnati at Notre Dame. Now, this week six is really a best case, worst case. It's best case for you if you're going to sit at home because these are the games you get to pick from. Week six is incredible this year in college football. But I want you to think about picking just one of these to go to. 
So you got Georgia at Auburn. I mean, if you grew up where I grew up, this is a staple. You don't miss that one. Except that we've got probably the top-rated game in the SEC all year also happening, and that's Bama at Texas A&M. Oh, by the way, the most anticipated game in the Big 12 every single season is also happening, and that is Oklahoma-Texas. We got Notre Dame going to Virginia Tech. What if Tech beats North Carolina in week one, and they're on the national radar? What if that happens? How big would that game be? How about Iowa? What if Iowa's pulled a couple of wins early in the year? What if Penn State beats Wisconsin early in the year? All of a sudden, that game, Penn State at Iowa, that could be a monster game. And Utah at USC is going to do nothing less than decide the Pac-12 South, in my opinion. This is very difficult. I think that I have figured out something. I, I passed it by Director Emeritus Collins' ear earlier. Here's what I think. I think if I have to choose one, we are going to Alabama A&M, first off. But the powers that be at CBS, and we happen to know a couple of them, they get that primetime game every year. Normally, it used to be Bama-LSU. Last year, it was Georgia-Bama. Could it be Bama-Texas A&M this year? Because we know that OU-Texas is starting at noon. And we know it's only two and a half hours up the road from College Station. Could this be the opportunity for us to pull the two-for-one and be at the Cotton Bowl at noon, Eastern, of course, and then be in College Station by 8 o'clock Eastern time for that night kickoff. I'm just saying, let's bookmark that as a possibility, but if we have to choose only one, we're going Bama to Texas A&M. This list is subject to change. I can be swayed. Uh, I'll be somewhere, though. And so we want to have no regrets. Just don't take me to blowout games. we got to be at the games that matter. Jesse's showing you our first six weeks, and that's the late kick schedule draft for now. Weeks seven through the end of the season, we'll do sometime in the next couple of weeks. But I want to get feedback on this. Again, limit the regrets. That's what I'm asking. Limit the regrets. I don't know how in the world we did this, but um, we went an hour tonight. That was not in the cars. That was not a plan. Uh, that was not a, a scripted play. We were just audible, and you know, we just went an hour. So if we're doing this in May, it's probably a pretty good indication of what we're going to bring for you once the what they call the regular season gets here you know our philosophy around here. So remember, if you're not already, subscribe to the channel, like the video, five-star reviews on the podcast, and follow Instagram and Twitter at LateKickJosh. Everything I just ask you to do is free, and it greatly helps the channel. With that in mind, for Director Emeritus Colin, for Jesse and the entire crew in Connecticut, I'm Josh Payne. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.